0: So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Mac Nutrition, and the Mac Nutrition Universal Certification. The MNU certification is fast becoming the gold standard when it comes to nutritional knowledge in the health and fitness industry. It's a 12-month, 100% evidence-based online nutrition course that can be completed alongside full-time work from anywhere in the world and qualifies you to be insured to practice as a nutritionist in over 25 countries around the world. You can also get a generous 50% off the enrolment fees using the coupon code lian 50 this week's podcast episode on postnatal and infant nutrition is with registered nutritionist Rhiannon Lambert, who has a bachelor degree in nutrition and health and a master's degree in obesity risks and prevention. Rhiannon specializes in weight management, disordered eating, pre- and postnatal nutrition, and sports nutrition. Founder of Retrition, best-selling author of Renourish: A Simple Way to Eat Well, and the host of Food for Thought podcast, Rhiannon is an extra special guest today. And on today's episode, Rhiannon and I discuss life as a new mum and important nutrients for new mums to think about. We chat about multivitamins and supplements, your water intake, breastfeeding and supply tips and tricks, formula recommendations, the midnight munchies, the importance of the first 1000 days, and the latest advice on allergies and gut health for bubs. So grab a pen and paper, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, please take a minute to leave me a positive rating or review. Welcome to the podcast, Rihanna, and I am so excited to have you on today. Oh, hi, Leanne. Thank you so much for having me. What a treat. The pleasure is all mine. I've been a long follower of your own podcast, Food for Thought, and I was very honored to be featured on there a couple of weeks ago. So it's a real treat
1: to have you on um, the Leanne World Nutrition Podcast today. So thank you for joining us. Oh, no, absolute pleasure. I mean, it's not every day I get to speak to somebody on the other side of the world. It is who's into the same things as I am. <laughs> Exactly and we were just chatting before we jumped
0: on about how how lockdown's been going. I mean the UK is in a really exciting time. Things are opening back up. You guys can go to restaurants and pubs. That must feel quite exciting after I mean you guys had a really tough year, year and a half, didn't you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think so has everybody really. Um I know we had a particularly high death rate at one point and I think we're very fortunate now. We're very fortunate to have the vaccines, but how we decide to Gay more freedom is very debated at the moment over here you know there's lots of pros and cons to freedom at the moment with COVID still floating around because just because our country is vaccinated doesn't mean everybody else is and there's a lot to consider, I think.
0: Yeah, there definitely is. So luckily, we've got some experts worldwide who can hopefully guide us all in the right direction. I think Australia is where a far bit behind where the UK is in terms of its vaccination rates. But I do hope we'll get there towards the end of the
1: year. <laughs> oh, I hope so for you guys. It, it must be, yeah, just so hard. You just want to be able to go somewhere else. And um, I mean, we haven't travelled abroad yet. I don't think there's some countries that you're allowed to, but I'm waiting until everything's a bit safer. It's a lot of risk, isn't there? There is, yeah, yeah. I and mean, especially with your bub, who Zachary is. What he's one now. Oh. How was the first year of motherhood? How did you find it? I mean, what a question. Yeah, he's he's one. <laughs> so, for any mums listening, he's fourteen months now, and it's a phase of rapid change. You feel like your baby hits one, and then suddenly overnight, in my case, he started walking instantly. He's a toddler. It's it's crazy. But the last year. <laughs> I mean, having a baby in the height of COVID, April 2020, for us, was pretty scary, to be honest. I was processing this yesterday. I have a lot of feelings of grief and just sadness over what should have been to become a mum. You know, my family didn't meet him. My husband didn't meet my his own son for five days because he wasn't allowed in the hospital. So I know for lots of mums listening, they're probably in a very similar situation. If you gave birth around March to, I'd say, yeah, June time last 2020, restrictions, nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew what COVID was or how it worked. So it was, let's say it's an interesting year. We've had a lot of one-on-one time, which is one plus. It's been incredible but it's not been plain sailing, that's
0: for sure. But you guys have come out the other end shining. He looks like such a beautiful, healthy bub and he's full of energy. And as you said, that time of rapid growth, it just must be so exciting to see them learning new things all of the time.
1: It's absolutely incredible. And I, I can't describe what it's like to, I guess in a way, he did get me through lockdown because all it takes is one smile from your child and your face lights up and instantly you do anything to make them smile or to interact with them. And have found actually having a toddler as well is like a daily workout because you just don't stop. Your brain (laughs) doesn't switch off. Your body doesn't stop. And in fact, recording this podcast is very rare for me to be in the morning sat down in a chair for an hour, which is quite nice. (laughs) (laughs) It's an incidental workout in
0: itself, isn't it, having a toddler?
1: (laughs) It is a 100%. And you have to watch them like a hawk. It's just the little things they discover. He's discovered the broom now and sweeping and housework, which is so interesting. He just loves picking up a broom and just pushing it around the room. It's really cute. It's very cute. Oh, that's amazing. So many, so many
0: lucky things to look forward to. Yeah. And I've actually got some exciting news to share on the podcast today, Rhiannon. I'm actually pregnant as well with my first baby. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh my goodness, how many weeks are you? Thank you. Um, we just hit 16 weeks. So very exciting. <gasps> oh, and oh you're the goodness. first person I've really told Rhiannon in, in the social media space. We haven't done the announcements yet. So I oh. thought I really want to share this with my podcast family first.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm welling up. I'm glad that you're not going to see the video recording of this. That's incredible news. I'm so happy oh, And I'm here anytime. WhatsApp me anytime. Just it's. Oh, you've got such a journey ahead. I'm so delighted for you. Thank you so much. And
0: you're just the perfect guest to have on to talk about postnatal nutrition and infant nutrition, because I must admit, when you first had your bub, you did... What was it, like a motherhood series where you talked about birth, you talked about fertility, you talked about infant feeding and all that thing. And I just remember at the time thinking, when I have my baby, I'm absolutely going to get Rhiannon on to have a chat about some of these important concepts because not only are you registered nutritionist, you're also a mum, so you've been through it, you've experienced it through some of the toughest times. I don't think there was ever a tougher time to be a mum than in 2020. So hats off to you, you've done an amazing job, and I'd love to kick off the podcast by asking you about, we've talked about fertility on the podcast. We've talked about being pregnant on the podcast and nutrition for pregnancy. So really what I want to focus on with you, Rhiannon, is that postnatal nutrition and even just that little bit of infant nutrition. So for our new mums out there, what are some important nutrients that we can start with that we'd like to focus on after birth? Are there any
1: sort of top two or three nutrients that come to mind that new mums really should be focusing on? When you're thinking post-birth, there's quite a a few different things that you really need to be aware of especially iron is a huge one you've just given birth you will have I don't want. To, you know? I want to say the right thing, knowing that you're pregnant as well. It's just, but the reality, don't want to scare me too much. <laughs> no, but you will lose a bit of blood. Um, there's that inevitable yes. factor. You will need as much energy as possible. It makes sense that you try and get good nutrition in the minute you've had the baby. But you may also be feeling very nauseous. You may not have an appetite. There's two camps here. Your appetite will either spike when you've had a baby, or it will completely decline. And even if you're in that decline camp, you need to get that energy in because it's going to help with your milk production that's going to come in within, you know, around that three to five day area. There's a lot to think about. So I'd say really try and get iron in. And it doesn't mean you have to eat red meat post-birth. If you don't eat meat, it's totally fine. As Leanne's probably discussed so many times on this podcast, there's loads of plant-based sources, even dried fruit, which is a wonderful snack to have actually when you're on a hospital ward, if you've got into hospital or if you've had your baby at home, because it's easy to get in, it's quick, and you'll be able to get the iron from things like dried apricots, dried figs, that that sort of thing. So I'd say iron carbohydrates, just a big macro, rather than focusing on small vitamins and minerals, you need as much glucose as possible, Your chances are you'll be sleep deprived straight away. <laughs> it, it, women go through so much, not only have you had to be pregnant for nine months, go through a labor that... Technically, you know, for me, it was a few days, you know, you could be trying to have this baby for a few days, and you may not have slept for several days, and then you give Mm. birth, and then straight away, you are caring solely for keeping a little human being alive. So you need those carbs, you need that glucose, you need fuel for your brain in that moment, and it needs to be readily available in the body. So you, you want it there, and you want to keep topping it up as much as possible. I would also say protein, just for repair, cellular repair, recovery, that sort of thing. But really, it's just getting those meals in. It's getting somebody, if you're lucky enough, to cook for you or have your freezer at home stocked with um, some good frozen meals ready to go. If you're in the hospital, I don't know what it's like over there in Australia, but here in the UK, for me in COVID, I mean, they didn't have anything really available. I just had a cold cheese sandwich served to me once I'd given birth. Oh, but, wow. Oh, no. Yeah. It sucked a little bit because everybody had told me the story of how you get nice hot toast and you get this gourmet experience. But make sure that you request to have you got anything else in the kitchen? Is there anything else I can have? And just really utilize the resources that are there for you because you deserve to have a good meal and hydrate. Really drink a hell of a lot of water. And if you've got a catheter as well, that's another element to consider if you've had, obviously, an epidural or you have had a c-section a cesarean delivery you don't know what type of birth potentially you're mm-hmm. in store for either way hydration is going to play a huge role um especially for helping with your bowel movements as well um after a birth that, that's a very long-winded answer to that short question <laughs>
0: No, no, I love it. And I think they're all such important things to think about for new mums. And you did mention an important point where I think a lot of women expect their appetite to be quite good after birth, particularly if it's been, you know, a labor of a few days and most people, you know, they're not going to eat too much during that time. And potentially if it's looking like a bit of a risky birth, some doctors don't even really let you eat much at all. You just kind of get to suck on a few ice chips if you're lucky. So if our nutrition has been down for a couple of days, and if we find that we're one of those mums that hasn't got that appetite or is just too sleepy deprived to make a meal or the hospital doesn't have that good food available, would you recommend that mums continue to take multivitamins and supplementations? I think you know a lot of mums understand that folate particularly is one of the essential nutrients during pregnancy. A lot of mums do take a general multivitamin and I myself have been taking a multivitamin with folate in it just because I haven't you know, just cravings and a bit of nausea and just sometimes my appetite's not there. And other times I'm like, I just feel like some two minute noodles rather than like a super nourishing lunch or something like <laughs> that. So I'm trying to cover all my bases, just taking a generalized multivitamin as well. Is that something that you recommend for new mums if they're not able to get in gold star nutrition directly after birth or in a few months post birth?
1: I mean, to be honest, uh, for 90% of mums, I would recommend they continue to take vitamin support i took a Mm -hmm. breastfeeding multi uh, vitamin the minute that i'd given birth i switched because you can buy pregnancy ones and post-birth ones and i think the only amount that changes ever so slightly in there is the levels of your smaller nutrients so folate will stay the same and that's what people don't realize you actually need the same amount of folate calcium increases in the third trimester and that will continue as well forwards in your um, breastfeeding multivitamin as well you've got to be careful as well. So you don't want to be taking, I don't know, a vitamin D supplement and taking a multi that contains, you know, vitamin D as well. You've got to be really, really careful what you're doing post-birth. And then some medications always check with your doctor in the hospital, because if you've had an epidural or you've been on another type of medication or you're on antibiotics post-birth as well, there's lots of different things that you have to be careful of. If you're into herbal type supplements please always check because some can interact heavily as you know with medication and then there's also the element to consider I I think that if you are you know you're on antibiotics perhaps consider probiotics as well at the same time to pack some in your suitcase that's what I did and I was on antibiotics for eight days post-birth something that I was actually not happy about at all obviously but I had to do what's best for me and my child but I knew the impact that can have on my um my baby so to support the uh, diversity in the gut microbiota from mm. day dot just make sure that you do what you can energy is tough and I remember mm. throwing up during my labor as well My husband's like, you haven't eaten anything. And he gave me this green smoothie. It's such a nutritionist thing to have. Have this (laughs) because I packed all these, you know, super, super healthy energy things in my bag. I took one sip and it all came back up. So it is Mm. hard to keep things down. And that multivitamin might be a little bit of a savior for you even if you can just eat crackers after the day of birth, have that multivitamin.
0: What a great tip. And I think that that's something, you know, all mums will pack the hospital bag and we've got the diapers, we've got the onesie, we've got, you know, maybe some maternity pads. But how many of us think to put our multivitamins and our probiotics in that hospital bag as well? So wonderful tip there. I love it.
1: And and a big water bottle. Sorry, I should have said Mm, a big water bottle because they don't give you those in the hospitals. You'll have to walk maybe to the water machine yourself and they only have tiny cups So to encourage you to drink. How frustrating. <laughs> yeah, take a big water bottle and then you can get a lot. You don't have to keep getting up and you can have that next to your bed. <laughs> Wonderful. When I when I pack my hospital bag, I'm going to come back to this podcast, Rhiannon, and I'll listen yeah. to it
0: back to back and pause things while I run around the house grabbing things from different departments. <laughs> but I think that that's a great point because, I mean, particularly if you've had a rough birth or you've, you've had some stitches or you've had a C-section, constantly getting up and walking up and down the hallway to fill up this tiny little cup is probably yes. the very last thing that you want to be doing <laughs> after birth. So I think that's a great tip as well. And yeah. it blows. My mind how they don't give you adequate water um, in hospitals, and I get that you know some people are prepping for surgery and they're not supposed to be drinking, their nil by yeah. mouth. They understand that, but on something like a maternity ward, you would hope that they you know they would give you some adequate hydration.
1: <laughs> I just think they're so busy sometimes, you know. And maybe, maybe my experience because of COVID meant a lot of changes, you know, on the ward. And I'm hoping for all of you ladies that are about to give birth, it's going to be a wonderful experience. And maybe they've they've definitely upped their game a lot. Fingers crossed. But speaking of water intake, I have heard from many friends that have had
0: babies that breastfeeding – sucks you dry, for lack of a better word. <laughs> what are the fluid recommendations during breastfeeding? Are there recommendations um, for you know the standard person, knowing that we're all different? Um, is there something like a lot of people throw around, have two liters of water a day? Does it increase significantly while we're breastfeeding, or is it that really just drink to thirst and see how you feel?
1: What's so interesting about hydration is that over here in the UK, there's no specific recommendation for breastfeeding. They just say drink more water. There is no set guide but what I would recommend is remember that public health recommendations as you know are just the bare kind of minimum to be optimally healthy and you actually may need more than the six to eight glasses that we recommend here in the UK which I think is 1.5 litres minimum your minimum may be two litres so try and increase that to maybe eight to ten glasses if you normally have six to eight or maybe two to 2.5 litres I think the best thing you can do when you're breastfeeding is just set a little alarm on your phone. And most of the breastfeeding apps, actually, you can get these cool apps once you've given birth, which will time how long your baby's been on the left boob, then the right boob. um, and. How many minutes then? When did you drink water and what nappy was it? And was it a wet nappy or did you have, you know, a poo in there? Those sorts of things. And they do hydration on there as well. So make a note and set yourself a target, I would say, for eight to 10 glasses minimum, if you can. It's really going to help with your mood. I can't emphasize enough how thirsty you get when you're breastfeeding. You're sat there and you need somebody to bring you water because when a baby is on you sometimes it's very difficult to move especially in the early days you really want to be sat down when you're doing that I remember walking sometimes feeding Zachary at the same time on the go because that's just what happens your baby needs milk when you're in the middle of the street Um, there's nowhere to sit (laughs) so you just kind of pop them on and off you go but it gets to a point where they are heavy and that will hurt your back so You need someone to bring you as much water as possible. So maybe some strategically placed drink bottles around the house is always a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen some people, and I wish I'd done this, with a super long straw. It looks quite (laughs) gadgety, you know, so the bottle's on the floor and the straw goes all the way up. But um, yeah, I'm probably more of a place water all over the house type of girl myself. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I'm one of them as well. I've got one in my bedroom, one in my office, one out near the TV mm. room. <laughs>
1: Perfect.
0: Yeah, so that's a good tip in terms of water intake, particularly if you are breastfeeding. Take your baseline and then just add a couple of extra glasses on top of that, probably at a minimum. And if you're feeling thirsty on top of that, I guess always we always recommend just drinking to thirst, don't we?
1: Yeah, because the signs of thirst are sometimes you know that dry that's when you're already dehydrated when you notice that you're thirsty remember so you know dry sticky mouth or sometimes you feel like you don't want to talk a lot and that's just this reaction that you automatically get when you actually need to lubricate the vocal cords in that area in your throat and that's something that goes back to my previous music days not my nutrition days is that if you're not hydrating your vocal cords as well that area will also get worn down a lot of new mums lose their voices as well in the early days and it's because you're up all night long perhaps you live in a place where you need air conditioning there's so many things that can make you thirstier as well as the fact you're breastfeeding on top of
0: that and I think a good tip as well if you're having a baby in summer versus winter that's also going to affect your hydration just the heat in it's general and having the air con on isn't it versus actually in winter we don't tend to need as much hydration in winter so definitely even time to think about when you are having your bub and what season it may be and in, in terms of how much extra water you. You might need.
1: Definitely. That, that breast milk's got to come from somewhere. Your body's producing it, so you need as much as you can get.
0: <laughs> Definitely. And with breastfeeding as well, um, the 2 a.m. munchies, what do you recommend for new mums who might wake up in the early hours of the morning, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock to feed, if we're hungry, is it okay to be eating then? And what are some good choices at that time in the morning? You know, we're probably not going to sit down and make some scrambled eggs at 2am in the morning. What are some quick and easy on the go choices that we can quickly get down and that would allow us to sort of get back to sleep and hopefully get in a few extra hours or something?
1: Well, you could get your other half to go in the kitchen at 2am if you really wanted to, but I don't think they would take very kindly to that. Um, you have to eat if you're hungry. You know, when you're a new mum, you'll be lucky if you're getting two and a half to three hours sleep. That's really good in those first initial few weeks. And being awake for much longer requires more energy anyway. You're burning more constantly. You burn energy when you're asleep, let alone being awake 24 seven every single day. So don't feel bad about needing to eat at two or four. You are a machine. You are sat there producing milk non-stop that is absolutely incredible if you think about it on top of what you normally do every single day some things to definitely avoid would be raw uncooked foods especially in the middle of the night it's not going to do your digestion any good to be eating something like that and you want something again with fast releasable energy and I would go for things like oat cakes, which are going to release it slowly into the bloodstream, but give you the glucose that you require that's accessible again to your body. But always pair it with a protein or a kind of a healthy fat like some nut butter. That's so easy to have by your bedside table. I had homemade oat and blueberry bars that I'd made in advance and frozen. And I would get one out the freezer every night and put it on by the side of my bed So in the middle of the night, if I was hungry, it would have defrosted in time and I could just eat this oat cookie straight away because you don't (laughs) have time. (laughs) The last thing you're thinking about is yourself and you can easily end up skipping meals unintentionally when you've got a newborn if you don't have somebody on your case. So I would say porridge in the middle of the night is a good one if you do want to get up and make something warm, even a, a cup of soup, things like that are quite nice, a slice of bread and toast. A muffin, like a savoury muffin made with maybe wholemeal flour. and um, Again, boiled eggs are easy to do in advance, but for some people that might not be a great choice and then that depends if eggs suit your digestion or what you've got going on. And if your bowel movements are still quite slow, so a lot of hospitals will... Try to give you laxatives once you've had a baby. I remember with me, they, they just went around and, like, here, take this home with you just in case. And I was pretty adamant I didn't want to take laxatives and I, I didn't, thankfully. But a lot of you, it might be really helpful to do that. But equally, if you want to try and not do that, you need to get the fiber in. And
0: it's that means snacking a, a lot
1: on the fiber content types of foods. And yeah. yeah healthy biscuits oat bars those sorts of things don't feel bad about sugar content I think it's one of those times in your life where okay go for an oat bar over a slice of Victoria sponge cake in the middle of the night but if that is what you fancy it's the one time in your life not to feel guilty about the type of food that you're consuming you need absolutely and even something like a banana or something simple that you might be able to leave by your bedside as well and fruit
0: yeah something like that yeah fruit nature's energy really
1: yeah exactly
0: (laughs) And speaking of breastfeeding, I know it's something that a lot of mums really struggle with. Have you got any tips in terms of increasing our supply? Because I know a lot of mums, particularly in the early days or as those babies go through those big growth births, they just feel like they're not uh, producing enough milk. And I know that does come down to intake and hydration as well, doesn't it?
1: This is a really interesting one. And I was actually doing a lot of research on this for a book I'm currently writing. And it's very mixed, the evidence when it comes to diet and the quantity of breast milk now we know the basic fundamentals are grounded in science that if you get enough calories and you're getting the energy in you will be able to produce enough milk and if you're undereating, it is going to impact your milk supply just as much as if you're dehydrated but there's some foods that you'll see and supplements and items like fenugreek that are mentioned that are supposed to um, increase your milk supply and again there are studies for and against that so there's no harm trying that actually it's not going to interfere with anything But I would say that the thing that does it is constant feeding. And one of the hardest things for a mum in those initial few weeks is that your baby will be latched onto you, what feels like for an entire eternity. But the more a baby feeds, the more your body will respond and produce that milk. So instead of thinking nutrition on this one, I think speak to a lactation consultant if you are having any trouble I don't know how it works in Australia, but here in the UK, you get a health visitor, not always a lactation consultant. It's something you have to invest in yourself, but getting that latch right and making sure your baby feeds. And unfortunately, the most milk is produced in the middle of the night, so from midnight to about 3am. So if you're getting the feeds in during that time, your milk production will also increase. And that's what I've read. I'm not an expert in this area. But that's what the evidence says at the moment. There are no miracle foods, but it is getting enough in and feeding as much as you can, responding to your baby, which is hard. I, yeah, I mean, wonderful tip. Yeah. breastfeeding is, is hard. And don't put any pressure on yourself for anybody listening if, if it doesn't happen because it is, some babies have tongue ties. The, the latches are difficult. I was wondering why Zachary was feeding. I was just exhausted. And week eight, two months in, because we had no one check him because of COVID, nobody has ever seen him. We discovered a tongue tie at week eight and we had that cut and he refused to feed on me for 24 hours after having that tongue tie cut. And it was really difficult, Mm, but actually it's enabled me to still feed now at 14 months on. So, so many things can impact it and you've got to be kind on yourself and just ask for help. Please ask for help, anybody that's struggling. Definitely. A wonderful tip.
0: And we're the same here in Australia. I don't think we're sort of routinely given access to lactation yeah. consultants, but I have heard from many friends and family members. My sister had a bub who's, she's nine months old now, and she had a bit of problems feeding in the beginning yeah. and she um, invested in a lactation consultant for a few consults as well and said it was the best thing that she ever did. And same like you, the tip that she got was to just pump often, even if the baby's not ready for food, just to keep, she, I think she was pumping every two hours. And after about a week or two, her supply really did increase and Um, She had to use formula during that time just so Bub could sort of get a bit extra in because she wasn't making enough. And just with the constant pumping and the constant feeding, her supply really did increase over the next couple of weeks. But she really credits that to the lactation consultant.
1: It made such a difference. I forgot. I pumped for 10 months. And because I was in the hospital for eight days originally, I was also pumping so my husband could do one feed with a bottle. So Zachary always took bottle and breast from day one and pumping, if anyone out there, yeah, Invest in a really good pump, it could really save your breastfeeding journey. That's a really good one, Leanne, yeah. Your sister did it right there. That's Bless her. Well done to her. Well, that's thanks to the lactation
0: consultants. So if there are any lactation consultants listening, you're highly, highly valued. Yeah. (laughs) And speaking of, I guess, breastfeeding, there are obviously some mums who can't or don't want to for whatever reason, or maybe um, they've adopted a baby or maybe it's dad's raising bub who, you know, they just can't breastfeed. So formula is absolutely okay. And we always say a fed baby is better than, you know, an unfed baby and whatever they were way that may be. But for mums who or dads who may need a formula to help with feeding bub, what are the best choices when it comes to formula? Or what are some things that we want to look out for? Is there some absolute no-nos with formula or things that we really want to be, I guess, looking towards more in a good formula?
1: When it comes to formula these days, they're so good. They've really, really upped their game to the point where most of them are nutritionally. Identical, hit a few nutrients here and there. So, whatever you choose, just to reassure you, listening, you are giving your baby so much nutrition, so much so that your baby won't need to be supplementing with vitamin D, whereas breastfed babies will need to be supplementing with vitamin D. So, it does provide a whole host of nutrition. And I think it depends on the type of formula you pick. So, you can get a powder and you can get the ready made liquid formulas. So, there's not really that much difference between the two apart from the packaging definitely over here in the uk we are taught when we study study this area that it depends on the base that it's made with so if it's a cow's milk or goat's milk base of course some babies also may have cow's milk protein allergies so it's really difficult because most parents notice that after they've been feeding their baby you know cow's milk formula for quite a while because it's the go-to so perhaps if you are formula feeding and you're about to start your journey, invest in a dairy-free and a dairy one and start with the dairy to so see you've got something to switch to. And some babies don't like the taste of some. And it's really interesting how nutritionally they can be identical, but your baby will take a preference to one make over another make. But in the UK, it, they're all really strictly regulated. I mean, we were bound by EU guidelines and it stayed the same since Brexit, really. The only thing you don't really need that's not as regulated as the follow on formula milk that mm-hmm. they advertise, which, yeah, you, you just don't really need to be investing in because once your baby turns one, your baby can switch to cow's milk anyway. So yeah, don't worry too much, basically, when you're looking at formula milks. Uh, it depends if you're going for a soy or dairy, goat's milk base, really. But nutritionally, they'll all be as good as they can be pretty good yeah and in australia it's
0: we've got very strict regulations as well particularly considering formulas. And I've noticed even I was having a quick look the other day um, when I was writing up these questions for you. And a lot of the brands in Australia now are adding prebiotics into them as well to really mimic that because we know that human breast milk is a really wonderful source of natural prebiotics, so great for baby's gut health. I noticed that a lot of formula companies are actually starting to mimic that as well, which I think is absolutely excellent. Um, they're well, really sort of time. covering all of their bases.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they they should be doing that completely because that is the benefit of breast milk is that it offers these, you know, antibodies and protection to your baby as well and lots of probiotics prebiotics and it's great that that's what formula melts are now doing definitely i'm just taking
0: a moment to shout out this episode sponsor mac nutrition and the mac nutrition universal certification with the mnu certification you are qualified to be insured to practice as a nutritionist you can get a bespoke insurance policy right here in australia which you can also use to work with clients globally They have insurance policies in over 25 other countries, including the US, Canada, and the UK. MNU teaches you everything you need to know to get the best results with a wide range of clientele, including weight loss and muscle gain, as well as athletes. Likewise, they have modules on creating your own corporate wellness programs, working online as a coach, and provide a year's worth of business and professional mentoring to help you set up your own nutrition consultancy. You can also just use the course to improve your own knowledge around evidence-based nutrition. You can find out more information at www.mac-nutritionuni.com. As a listener of the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast, you can also get a generous 50% off the enrolment fees using the coupon code lian 50 Now, let's get right back to our episode. So it's changing, I guess, track now and thinking a little bit more about alcohol and a drink. Can new mums safely enjoy a drink and how many is too many? I can't imagine there are new mums out there going on big weekend benders, but could we have two glasses of wine if we we're out at a dinner party with friends? Would that be considered a little bit too much if we are breastfeeding?
1: So it takes around two to three hours for a glass of wine to leave your system. Um, so it is best to kind of time it. If you're formula feeding, then the one plus is you don't have to really worry about this. But if you are breastfeeding, I would time it and wait a few hours before breastfeeding your child again. So maybe once you've just come off one feed, you could have a glass if the time gap is big enough. Um, So in the early weeks, I would actually not recommend it to be honest it will be in the system and um, because you will be feeding so frequently in those first few weeks but like you said I don't think anybody is desperate to just suddenly crack open a <laughs> bottle as, you know you're sleep deprived and everything's um probably the crazy. last thing you're thinking about <laughs> yeah <laughs> but if you do want the occasional drink and yeah you've gone around I don't know you're celebrating and you want to toast to your baby and it's special then we recommend one to two units of alcohol which is like a a small glass of wine, about a hundred and small glass of wine, hundred and twenty five mil, I don't think about yeah, that yeah. then. And you know, if if you drink spirits, then just one kind of measure, which is small, is about 30 mil or 25 mil. But you, you have to be really careful with the timing, I, I would say. And some people say pump and dump, but that's not true. That's a myth. People think if you pump out the milk and then you it's just a waste of milk to pump after you've breastfed and throw it away. It just doesn't work like that. Like I said, it stays in system two to three hours. So just time it well, and you can definitely enjoy a glass of tea, maybe one or two a week if, if you'd like to. Wonderful. All right. I think that's a great answer. And I think that, um, again, that goes with our messaging that we both have of that
0: balance and that moderation as well, isn't it? We don't have to give everything up. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it definitely isn't a time where we want to be going too hard on the celebrations put it that way (laughs) one drink can safely be enjoyed
1: (laughs) exactly and just remember your baby's got a teeny tiny little organ a liver teeny tiny kidneys yeah everything is so small and they will get a bit of it from your um, milk supply if you're breastfeeding so just time it well and you can don't have to give anything up at all, really. Once you're a mum. <laughs> and speaking of that,
0: because um, nutrients obviously pass through the breast milk onto baby, is there anything else we should be avoiding while we are breastfeeding besides alcohol?
1: Really, really good question. And the answer is no. And it's good. so interesting. Yeah, I was doing a lot of research into this again for the book I'm writing, and I think it's one of the areas where people, apart from alcohol. You will get taste preferences. So it's up to you how you want to proceed because the taste of the milk can change according to the diet you eat, but it's not going to harm your baby. Obviously, recreational drugs and things like that should be avoided at all costs. (laughs) But when it comes to dietary aspects, it's actually okay. But the better you eat, the better the type of milk you're probably going to be producing, the vitamins and minerals you're providing your baby, all the benefits, and the better you will feel and the better your baby will feel. And it's also a good time that you will also start to identify things like if your baby does have an allergy, a cow's milk protein allergy, because if you're breastfeeding and your baby's just not responding well, it could be something in your diet that could be impacting the baby's. That's an area where you should be thinking about what you're eating that may affect your baby in breast milk. That's the only reason to avoid any food would be if there, if there is a reaction that's happening there for your little one.
0: And I've been hearing a lot lately about this concept of the first 100 days. So how this links into sort of like allergies and immunity, can we explain a little bit more for our listeners what this concept of the first 100 days means for babies and why it's so crucial for their health long-term?
1: So I've got it as the first 1,000 days, not 100 days. I must have (laughs) guessed So no, you, definitely go with it, man, it's a thousand days then. It is a thousand days. So um, yes. yeah, I'm pretty sure because I have been writing a lot about it. I'm sure that's what it is. There may be another I'm thing. I'm sure it order. is.
0: I've got baby brain at the moment forgive
1: me and do you know what baby brain never goes so welcome to the club Leanne um (laughs) yes the first a thousand days I'm pretty sure is from conception all the way up to your baby's second birthday and it's about the growth and development and the impact that nutrition can have on your baby's, particularly brain health um future health outcomes academia, so your baby's IQ, all sorts of things that can be put down to your child's development, basically. And if you look it up, There's a website devoted especially to the 1,000 days, which is full of all the science and all the research. So we know that in the first 1,000 days, it can cause irreversible damage to the brain. So you really do want to be eating well to make sure that you get all of that nutrition in. And I think a lot of the research looked at lower economic backgrounds and different countries and the availability and resources that new mums had to feed Mm. their children and throughout pregnancy, you know, thrive and survive essentially we're going right back to the adaption evolution process and equally how you eat can impact the placenta throughout pregnancy and that's something I don't think is spoken about enough so that the placenta is what provides your baby with the nutrients and how it grows and equally that's where the antibodies are passed through so it's so important that in a way nutrition is taken seriously because if you're not getting enough iodine into your diet or crucial nutrients. Choline, potassium, b all of the what we call vitamins and minerals, the micronutrients in the diet, which you you can get if you eat a healthy, balanced diet. So, to cut the answer short, check the a thousand days website, which will be much more coherent than I'm saying now, and have a look at the research on there. It's really interesting, and follow the Mediterranean-style diet, which is one of the best researched diets in the world that we have a lot of studies and a lot of information on. If you follow that way of living, you're likely to be able to have, you know, really healthy, happy baby. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned the Mediterranean diet because we've actually
0: done a whole podcast episode on that as well. Listeners, if you're interested, just flick back perhaps sorry, five or six podcasts and we did a full um, episode on the Mediterranean diet, which is one of my favourite diets and, and lifestyle sort of patterns to follow if you want to have sort of that structure in terms of what we're eating because I
1: love nothing
0: more than salmon and olives and potatoes. Yes.
1: And I should mention <laughs> so delicious a agree. Yeah, something that um, we haven't mentioned at the moment and I should have mentioned, um, if you are a vegan and you're not getting any oily fish in your diet, then a supplement I would recommend on top of your pregnancy multivit is probably a DHA Algae form, so a vegan form of omega three to be taking, and there is some research that, of course, omega three helps with our cell membranes. It's predominant in our brain. Get that in as well, basically pre baby and post baby, alongside your multi. But check your multi; obviously, doesn't have anything else in it. I should have mentioned Definitely. that that's really important um, if you are plant based or a vegan to get. Yeah, great tip. And if you are someone that does eat oily fish, I think the
0: recommendations are about two servings a week, aren't they?
1: Yeah, one to two. It's so unfair. Men get to eat more. It's always higher for men. <laughs> <laughs> Women can't have as much. And um, yes, that is definitely correct. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm, I could honestly eat salmon every day. Salmon, potato yeah. chips and a salad is just one of my all time favorite foods. You,
1: <laughs> I could did, eat it in daily. In your first trimester then, did you experience any kind of nausea cravings? Because I could just eat beige food in the first few weeks. I was so off protein and I'm someone who's yeah. always advocated being
0: a sports dietitian, a moderately higher protein diet. I'm a big fan of that even distribution of protein throughout the day. I couldn't look at protein, not a protein powder, not chicken, not eggs and eggs on toast is one of my favorite things to eat for breakfast. I always was white carb girl for I think the first 14 weeks I was terribly constipated as well could barely get that fiber in. was taking psyllium husk you know multiple times a day I just could not look at protein and I'm really thankful now week 16 and the last sort of few weeks it got a lot better in the afternoon nighttime. so I was mostly having a pretty good dinner most days it was the breakfast and the lunch that I really struggled with but yeah protein for me I did actually take um omega-3 supplements for the first little while but I've stopped taking that now because I'm actively able to get in my two serves of salmon a week which I am so happy about
1: (laughs) pregnancy can change your entire um I've got many clients and myself included My entire eating philosophy and way I eat has changed since pregnancy, and I can't eat how I used to before pregnancy now. Strange how your body suddenly is completely different. It's amazing. Yeah yeah and I must admit
0: I was lucky enough that I didn't experience too much nausea but I did have just that funny metallic taste in my mouth where like coffee is one of my favorite things in the entire world I get so much pleasure from my morning coffee (laughs) And could not drink coffee for months, and just it's only just started I can have a weak ice latte at the moment and that's probably about it but just that metallic taste in my mouth nothing could get rid of it and oh it was awful (laughs) and it's just sort of slowly started to go away. (laughs) How could we not mention caffeine
1: Leanne as well caffeine is one of those items in breastfeeding as well that is something you need to keep to yes. 200 milligrams maximums because it does go through the breast milk. You do not want your baby getting any caffeine. So just, you've reminded me, Baby brain, as I said, is just terrible. But caffeine is really important to keep a minimum. And remember, it's also in chocolate. It's also in some medications that you Mm -hmm. may not expect. Mm -hmm. I would just recommend sticking to one cup a day if you need to have it and you're pregnant, to be honest. And then especially when you're breastfeeding, unfortunately, it's exactly the same. You've got to keep the caffeine low.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great tip because particularly mums are so sleep deprived that the first thing we're going to look for for a pick-me-up is a cup of coffee, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So any other tips, I guess, to deal with that fatigue if we're sort of limited to that one cup of coffee a
1: day? Yeah, um, get outside. This is when Mm. nature kicks in. You have to get out. So one advice that I was given actually by a follower on Instagram was no matter how tired you are or how awful the night before has been, start your day and get in the shower every single morning. Just get someone to hold your baby. If you have that luxury, shower and get outside with the pram. Because the minute you do that, you start the day right. Your circadian rhythm. You're setting your clock you will feel more awake and have a lovely herbal tea or you have your one cup and that's it, stay really hydrated. They are the best things you can do. If you sit inside all day long, and I know some days I just wanted to do that, but I always felt better if I went for a walk. Just yeah, simple yeah. things, exercise. Yeah, you, and, Those
0: endorphins from exercise as yeah. well, you're getting some vitamin D from the sunlight. Yes. I think just the fresh air, boosts your mood doesn't it just the simple fact of being outside is so good for our mental health so you feel I think that's so a wonderful grotty tip.
1: in those early days you you know sometimes you can't get that shower in or you haven't washed your hair in forever and your skin feels awful you can't remember the last time you felt like you looked good your clothes may not fit and it's so hard the fourth trimester is the hardest part of the whole thing in my opinion and it's not spoken about enough everyone's concerned with the baby well, quite rightly so post-birth What about mum? It's so hard. You've got to have a support network. You've got to speak to other mum friends in the middle of the night. If you're feeling tired, whinge to them. I'm so tired today. I can't get out. And... (laughs) This, that will help you get through.
0: Definitely, yeah. Mental health, um, you know, I've talked about, a lot about it on our podcast about mental health, how important it is and becomes, you know, 10 times more important when you are a new mum because you're not only looking after yourself, you've got this whole new little person to look after as well, which I'm sure is daunting and overwhelming for so many people as well. Yeah. So while we're on this topic, um, we probably should mention just really quickly um, postnatal depression or any support resources that you found that were really helpful through the first sort of few months that you found. or Any support groups online, websites that you find helpful
1: books even I mean I'm very open about the fact that I had a really hard time post-birth I developed something called postpartum psychosis for a complete lack of sleep in the hospital and I was referred to the peri the maternal mental health team which is available on the NHS here and probably will be with your hospitals over there too and I had regular counseling up until about six months after having the baby and a birth debrief It's really important to have your partner or somebody else as well know the signs of depression, postnatal depression, and look out for key moments when your mood is going to change. When the milk comes in, it's notorious. Some people don't notice it, but for a lot of women, the day the milk comes in, you feel so low. And if you can't pick that back up again and you stay stuck in that cycle, It's so important to reach out for help if you feel extremely lethargic, more than normal. The thing about postnatal depression is it's very hard to decipher what's recovering from birth or a traumatic birth versus you have depression because the signs and the things to look out for are so similar. And I'm a nutritionist, not a psychologist. So this is only from my personal experience, but it's very hard to get picked up on because everybody is focused on the baby and all you care about is the baby but you have to look after yourself. So the services that I found really useful were available with the hospital. But for anybody looking, there are lots of charities. In the UK, we call it Mind. There are charities called the Samaritans. And in Australia, I'm sure there are helplines that you can call as well. But just knowing that you're not alone, I think is a big part of it as well you can get treatment, you can get better from those sorts of things. And I still have therapy that I choose to have now, because my anxiety is just so high since having Zachary, that I get flashbacks to the COVID times and the fear that I had when I had him. I find it difficult to talk about. I still well up. But just so everybody knows, it, it shouldn't be a taboo women's mental health it's huge after having a baby there are there are people that can help yeah absolutely and thank you so much for being so open and honest
0: about that and I really do encourage everyone to go and listen to Rhiannon's podcast food for thought particularly if you're interested in the pregnancy postnatal nutrition yeah. area Rhiannon did some wonderful podcasts with some world-class experts she did a whole series of them and I'm sure that you did one around postnatal depression as well did yeah, you did
1: yeah The yeah, whole one yeah, and wonderful. I talked about my birth story as well, which I just wanted to be honest, because I felt that I'd done hypnobirthing and all these wonderful things. And I didn't spend enough time looking at what potentially could happen if it didn't go to plan. And that was my downfall in a way. I'm such a motivated person if I want it to be this way I thought I'm going to have this home birth I'm going to be in the pool it's going to be perfect because that's what I do I manifest things but you can't manifest your birth in that way and I think being open to being relaxed and going with the flow if I when I have baby 2 if I do that's how I'll approach <laughs> definitely and yeah it's um series Eight, I believe, on Food for Thought, which is devoted to motherhood for anybody
0: listening. Yeah, and thank you for just being so raw and honest and real with your birth story because I honestly gained so much from it as well. And mm-hmm. I'm the same as you. I'm, I'm going I'm to booked into the hypnobirthing course, yeah. but after listening to your podcast and your birth story, I'm like you, the type A perfectionist. I want to plan everything out. I want to visualize it. I want to manifest it. But yeah. I'm very much open to the fact that if I need an epidural, if I need a C-section for the health of the baby, then I'm, I am allow myself the opportunity to do those things without any stress or judgment or anything like that. So thank you. And that all came, honestly, from listening to your birth story, Mm -hmm. Rhiannon. So hats off to you for that. So thank you.
1: We can't be the only ones. I'm sure the people that think (laughs) it will go the way I want it to go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There are more positive people out there in the world, I'm sure of it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then, Rhiannon,
0: quickly circling back to feeding and allergies and gut health, because gut health is something that's super trendy with adults. We see it all over social media. What can we do from our baby's perspective in terms of gut health, particularly if we're mums or dads who haven't been able to breastfeed babies? You know, we were saying that breastfeeding is one of the best ways to improve their gut health in the initial stages. What can we do once bubs are sort of starting to eat in food wise, how can we improve gut health? Because those first, as you mentioned, up to two years are so incredibly important for their development and their immunity and their gut health isn't it
1: hugely oh my goodness it's absolutely monumental and there are so many things that you can still do Uh, just to add in as well please do not avoid certain foods for fear that your baby will gain an allergy actually it's better to eat the foods like peanuts there's a lot of misconceptions around it if you consume them in pregnancy they're less likely to develop an allergy to peanuts as well so exposure exposure to as many foods as you can probably better for your baby but if we go back on to gut health if you end up having a c-section delivery you can do something called seeding vaginal seeding Mm -hmm. which is when you kind of get a swab and you take bacteria from the vagina and you put it over over the baby so it's not the end of the world and you don't need to worry too much if they didn't have that vaginal delivery and then when it comes to being at home, it's all about diversity, new environments. If you have a pet, then that's wonderful. You're very lucky because if you have a dog or, I mean, I don't have a pet at home and I'm very envious of people that do, but there's so much research that suggests that supports your child's microbiome as well. and um, Making sure as well that they get to touch kind of um, tap water even and grass outside, just being in nature as much as possible for your little one. Because in the early days, it's just milk. And if you're on formula, you're probably thinking, well, what can I do? You know, there's nothing else I can do. When your baby has a cuddle with somebody else, they're exposed to new bacteria. The flora, the gut, the flora on your skin as well, the skin microbiome, we forget about that. There's so many different things. And it's all about different um, variety. And there was one study, it was small, It only looked at 120 infants. And I've written it down just so I don't say this as it's the morning here, in the wrong way. So they found that in the first year of life, those born vaginally had the beneficial bacteria and fewer harmful bacteria, whereas the ones that were born via C-section were more likely to develop asthma or allergies. But caveated with the exposure that that little one had to the environment, reduced that risk of getting the allergies and the asthma. So Don't keep your baby in your lounge at home for too long. Try and sit outside if the weather's good. Try and get different people to give a cuddle as long as they don't have a cold or you do not want your baby getting a cold. Always ask visitors, (laughs) if you are sick or you feel you've got a scratchy throat, please don't come into my home. (laughs) Um, But yeah, basically there's so much you can do. Skin to skin is incredible. Even that helps with gut health. Minimize antibiotics if you can. I know I mm-hmm. didn't have a choice, mm-hmm. but um, but if you can. So there's it's not the end of the world. There's lots of hope. Yeah, and there is a lot of research even around, um, you know,
0: that over sanitization, particularly yes. with you know COVID still around yes. in our population, we're using hand gel like no other. I've had a serious flare of my eczema in the last year just from constantly hand sanitizing everywhere we go. So there is that over sanitization that can negatively affect our own gut health and also babies' gut health as well. So germs are okay, you know. We don't want you know our babies licking the floor or anything like that. No. But if they're playing with a little bit of dirt in their hands or a little bit of grass it's wonderful for their gut health and their their antibodies and their immunity isn't it so let them get out in nature it's one of the the best things that we can do for them
1: oh the best thing is seeing your child so now Zachary's here 14 months is playing and picking up flowers and dirt from the garden and going to sand pits the local park at first i was a bit scared because of covid you know people we didn't know if it was transmitted via surfaces so Mm -hmm. I disinfect the swing before he sat on the swing and then i'd have to put a plastic sheet down if he went down the slide and but now we know that that's not the major form of transmission so embrace the park embrace those germs and those bugs because they're not all bad (laughs) and the best thing about the park is you've got it you know
0: most of us have to walk to get there so you get outside you get some exercise you get the fresh air in all those benefits like getting out in nature that we talked about before so it's good for mum and it's good for bub as well 100 percent and just quickly touching on allergies, because you mentioned quickly that the latest research and science shows us that unless, of course, the mum is allergic to that food, we actually want to eat all allergens, A, while we're pregnant. And then once we start feeding bub, we actually want to feed them all allergens as well. Unless, of course, you've given them something like egg or peanut and they did have a reaction, of course, then we'd, we'd want to go and get that checked out with a specialist. We wouldn't want to continue to um, introduce and include those foods. But the research really does show us that including all allergens is one of the best ways to prevent allergies long term, isn't it?
1: As early as possible. I, I mean, the weaning process, I would say once you've done the first week or maybe 14 days, tops, get an allergen in. Leave a gap in between days of doing it, maybe two days, two, three days. So try one allergen. It can just be um, pinprick size amount of nut butter mixed into their porridge that morning or Another allergen would be soy, so you could do a teeny tiny bit of tofu or soy milk mixed in that day instead. There are so much; it, it's a teeny amount, and make sure when you're testing allergens, just for reassurance as well, you have somebody with you. I remember being so scared introducing allergens with zachary and i'm a, i'm a health professional <laughs> mm-hmm. and i was thinking oh my goodness there's a huge list of what to look out for there are so many different types of allergies and if you go to your health trust website so we or try tommy's it's tommy's pregnancy hub it's called that's a really good go-to for information or early start nutrition they'll list all the allergens and recommend how to introduce them and the earlier the better because that's going to help prevent the risk later on. And some children do grow up to develop allergies and then they can grow out of them as well. Just as much as if you discover they have a cow's milk protein allergy, they can go on something called the milk ladder where they slowly introduce the item itself. And over time, they rebuild the tolerance to accepting it. But it's important to note lactose intolerances are confused a lot with allergies. And it's important to know allergies are life-threatening and you'll get more digestive symptoms with an intolerance. But ask for help. Please keep asking for help. Go to um Leanne or, or myself, my website. We we all cover these types of areas and there's lots of pediatric dietitians out there as well that specialise in this area particularly. There's lots of them on Instagram now as well, which is great. Which is
0: wonderful. Yeah, there's some really, really great resources on social media these days. And I think once my bub enters the world, I'll hopefully, like you, do some sort of series around motherhood yeah. where we can have these important conversations where, you know, some of the research has really changed. I think it was yeah. only in the last correct me if I'm wrong, Rhiannon, maybe three or four years that the advice around allergens really did change. I mean, for so long, we thought if mum was allergic to it, we shouldn't give it to Bub at all. Or if we were some sort of an allergic person, we should just be very careful with introducing allergens. But now it's introduce them early and introduce them as
1: soon as possible. So really, really exciting to see that space. It's all, the pe- it's peanuts, that the most um, huge, the trials are still ongoing now actually on, on peanuts specifically, but that was groundbreaking only a few years ago and amazing results from that research. Wonderful. Well, so many wonderful and positive tips that you
0: provided our listeners with today, Rhiannon, and I know you have to scoot, you've got a busy day ahead of you. So my final question for you would be, if you had one piece of advice for new mums,
1: what would that be? I think looking back, I had a particular friend that had had a baby at a similar time and was, we messaged every single day, a hundred messages every day, have a support network, just be prepared. I think that friendships change. This is more of a mental health go-to than a nutrition tip, actually, because I just feel that mental health is huge, especially around the time you've had a baby and your friendships will change and relationships will change with people and you need to quickly kind of identify in those early days who you can really rely on in that time and that's going to really pull you through so don't be scared to ask for help please reach out would be my top tip just reach out to anybody that will listen and you've got this it's exciting new mums it's going to change your entire world it's the best thing and the hardest thing in the entire world and no mum will ever say they regret having their child you know it's it's incredible So, congratulations to anyone listening that's going to have a baby. Yes, so
0: exciting. So exciting. Thank you so much for all of the wisdom that you provided, all the beautiful advice that you've given our listeners, all the personalized tips as well from your own um, experiences as well. I think that that's so important. You, as a health professional, but also as somebody who's been through this before, I thought it was really important to get a guest on who not only has read the research, but actually understands it from a practical sort of implementation perspective as well. So, thank you so much for sharing with us all of your knowledge. And Rhiannon, you have an exciting new book coming out very soon. Do you want to quickly wrap up the podcast by telling our listeners a little bit about that?
1: Oh, yeah, of course. And thank you for having me. It's so important to know that health professionals aren't perfect and we all we all go through real lived experiences as well. <laughs> um, so the book is called The Science of Nutrition and it's an encyclopedia of nutrition. Every question we covered, like we've spoken on here from childhood nutrition, pregnancy down to diabetes, heart health, weight management... Um, every area of science you could possibly imagine in a very visual and informative way So it's like a Dorland's Kinsey book so it's got incredible illustrations working on a breakdown of science you can pre-order it now um, on Amazon and it comes out December the 30th 2021 which is very exciting but you can just check out read all my socials and hopefully I can guide you to some form of information there
0: wonderful i love the launch date that'd be an exciting present for a lot of people to receive as a pre-order so if you've got partners or hubbies or parents looking to gift you something for christmas listeners that um, pre-order from Retrition will be wonderful i can highly recommend it already even though i haven't read it yet because i know that everything <laughs> you produce is is top quality so i'm really really excited to seeing that book come to life
1: well congratulations on your pregnancy leanne and thank you so thank much you. for having me
0: <laughs> thank you so much